Our gospel lesson for today, the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all of this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone raises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Earlier this morning, when Dick came in, I kind of pulled him aside just a little bit, and I, I told him to read over on this side. And if you're wondering why, well, the other microphone's down here. But I said, Dick, I want you to read over on that side. And he kind of smiled at me, and he says, oh, the pulpit. Do, do I have to change my clothes? <laughs> I said, well, I'll give you my jacket. And he says, well, I don't have the little collar. <laughs> it was, I don't know, just me and Dick joking around. It was fine. But I got to thinking about that. Pastor shirts, clericals, clerics we call them, or with the tab and all that. You know, ordinarily, I, I wear the black one, but you've seen me wear different colors before um, on, on occasions. There are other colors that they come in. And I remember going all the way back to just before I actually started as pastor, and I was going to order as many of the different liturgical colors, the fancy different colors as I could, so that I had this idea in the back of my head of whatever season it was, I'll wear the right color and I'll match and it'll look really cool. So I looked at the different suppliers and didn't get all the right colors that I could get, but I got some black ones and I got a, a couple of red ones and I got a white one and and then a couple ones that aren't, really aren't even liturgical colors that you've never seen me wear because I never wear them. They just hang up in my closet for no reason. But I also ordered a purple one. You know, Lent is purple. And I thought I was really proud of myself because I put these orders in. And I sat down actually for a conversation just a day or two after that with, with my old mentor, Pastor. And I, I was really proud of myself. And I, I told him I, I got all my clerical shirts on order. And he's like, ooh, cool. <laughs> and he says, so, so what did you get? And I told him different colors. And I told him, and I, and I got all these colors, and, and I got purple. And he just went, purple? I said, yeah. 
for Lent. And he says, Scott, in our denomination, who wears purple? And it dawned on me, bishops wear purple. And I was like, ooh. I wasn't even ordained yet. <laughs> I sure was not a bishop. And so I thought, well, that's not good. This is a problem. So immediately I went and I looked at my order and I found the, the customer service number and, and I called I called the supplier and this guy answered and, and I kind of told him what had happened and he's like, oh, let me look up your order. And he looked up my order and he says, oh, you're in luck. He says, it just so happens that that purple shirt is actually on back order, so don't worry about it. I'll just cancel that one and it'll be fine. Now, this doesn't really have anything to do with anything except the color purple. Now, again, in our denomination, the color purple kind of shows a little bit of a hierarchy, if we want to say that, or uh, because regular pastors don't wear purple, bishops wear purple. And that's really the only difference. But the idea of purple showing status is actually present within this parable that Jesus shares for today. Now, this is an oddball little parable that I think is kind of funny every time it pops up, but Jesus is telling this story, and he's kind of, you know, last week we kind of heard about money and wealth and all that, and it sort of seems like he's on the same tactic again. He, he says this parable, so there was this rich man, and the rich man dressed in purple, and he feasted sumptuously every single day. He gives these little descriptions to indicate just how high up the social ladder this guy was. In Jesus' day, the color purple was very, very rare because the dye that you needed to make your, your clothing that color was extraordinarily rare. It was extraordinarily expensive. So it was actually regulated. The government regulated the color purple. Weird, right? But it happened. And so for this guy to be able to wear purple, that's an indication of just how rich, how wealthy, how high up the social status he was. And not only that, the fact that he has a feast, he banquets every single day. Banquets happened, but they were expensive deals, so they would only happen every once in a while. But this guy does it every single day. So we can tell by that that this rich guy is way up here on the social ladder. Now, on the opposite end of the social ladder, we have Lazarus, this, this poor man who basically just lays outside the rich guy's gate. And we hear that he's hungry and that he wishes that he could eat the scraps that fall from the guy's table. So we've got these two different individuals. We've got Lazarus, we've got the rich guy. And they both die, seemingly at the same time. Now, the poor man is carried off to be with Father Abraham. That's a side note. Abraham is the father of the Jewish faith. He's one of the patriarchs. We've got to go all the way back in the Old Testament. He's the one that God's like, hey, I'm going to give you a lot of descendants, and that's going to all be the Jewish people. He's also considered to be an example of faith. We hear about that throughout the course of the scriptures, that he's the one that God calls faithful because he believes in the, uh, the promises of God. And it seems in this story that Jesus is telling, Abraham is almost standing in for God. I mean, that's kind of weird, but it almost kind of seems the way it's going. Lazarus dies, and he's there with, with, uh, with Abraham. And then we got the rich guy, and he also dies. And then we hear he goes to Hades, which Hades is just wherever dead people go. Maybe we want to compare it to hell. We could if we wanted to, but it's not necessarily the same thing. But he's in Hades, and he is being tormented, and he doesn't like it. But what's interesting about this is he looks up, 
And he can see Abraham and Lazarus like over here somewhere. He can see them, and apparently he can talk to them, even though they're separated. And he sees that Lazarus and Abraham are over there, and it seems like everything's kind of going decent for them. They seem like they're doing okay. But he's over here, and he's in agony. And so he calls out, Father Abraham, will you send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and come over and touch my tongue? He goes, man, it's really hot over here. I'm so thirsty. Will you give me some water? He's probably not Maybe he was whining like that. I don't know. My brain just went down a rabbit hole there. But he's like, send Lazarus over here to help me. Like, this is horrible, but he's over there, so send him to help me. And Abraham's like, yeah, I don't think so. And then he gives this strange little thing where he talks about, well, he was, he was in agony in life, but now he is comforted. And now you had your comforts in life, and now you're in agony, which is a weird little comparison. I don't really know what Jesus is talking about with that. But then he says, besides me. There's this chasm, there's this separation, and you can't get over here and we can't get over there to you. We can't bridge this separation that is there. Well, then the rich guy thinks for a little bit more and then he decides he's going to issue another order. Well, then send Lazarus to my father's house because I have five brothers and I don't want them to die and come here. So, so send him over there to tell them, to warn them so that they'll repent and then they'll be saved. He's kind of ordering Lazarus around a lot, isn't he? Did you notice that? Like, even in the torment of Hades, whatever that means, he still seems to think he's going to get his way. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought about the idea or the label that sometimes we throw out, diva? Have you heard this before? I think the rich guy is kind of a diva. Now, here's the really interesting thing. Within our scripture lesson, he's not given a name. Did you notice that? He's only called by the description. He's the rich guy. History has given him a name that's Divis, which is Latin for rich guy, but Divis kind of sounds like diva, right? <laughs> hmm, maybe it's all connected. I don't know. But that's history has given him that name. Here he doesn't have one. But Lazarus does, doesn't he? Lazarus is named. Lazarus is known, and he is the one who's seemingly comforted. Now, the only thing that I can really make of this distinction between the two, I don't think it's just about if you're rich, watch out, because in the afterlife, it's going to be lousy, and if you're poor, in the afterlife, it's going to be great. I don't think that's what Jesus is telling us, because Abraham's also present, and Abraham died really rich, so that doesn't hold water. Maybe the takeaway for us from this story is about having an identity, an identity that you are known by. Lazarus is known, and he is comforted. And maybe we need to remember that every single one of us is also known by the one that made us in the first place. And we all have an identity, beloved child of God. That's one that we all share. God has given it to us. And I think God has also promised that no matter what this life holds and no matter what the next life, whatever that's going to look like, holds, God's promise is always to be there with us and to help us. Devies, that assigned name, means rich guy. Lazarus means something too. Lazarus means the one God helps. Every single one of you is Lazarus because God has promised to help you, to be there with you, to never depart from you. Now, 
Remember, this whole thing's a parable. These were not two regular, real characters. It was a story that Jesus was telling. But there's a little bit of hope even for the rich guy. Do you notice what Abraham called him? Child. If Abraham is the stand-in for God, he still calls him child. And that's also a distinction that we all share. God has named every single one of you beloved child, and that's the distinction that will never be overcome. Is that an amen? I kind of feel like I'm done. Yeah? 